0: Chapter twenty nine of Herb of Grace This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Herb of Grace by Rosa Nuchet Carey. Chapter twenty nine She is a wicked woman am i cold ungrateful that for these most manifold high gifts i render nothing back at all not so not cold but very poor instead e barrett browning to love is to be made up of faith and service shakespeare It was half-past six when Malcolm reached the well-known station, and, taking a fly, bade the man drive him to the King's Arms, an old-fashioned inn of good repute about half a mile distant from the woodhouse. Here he secured a room for the night, ordered supper, of which he partook without appetite, then sallied forth to pay his call. It was late in October, and the darkness of the country roads surprised him, accustomed as he was to the well-lighted London streets he could scarcely find out his bearings until a welcome light streamed out from the windows of the crow's nest malcolm lingered a moment at the little gate it was there i dwelt in my fool's paradise he muttered and tried to eat of the forbidden fruit now i know good and evil and am a sadder and wiser man and then he went on doggedly, but he stopped again before he reached the gate of the woodhouse, for he knew intuitively that he had stumbled into the little path leading to the woodlands. He strained his eyes through the darkness, but could see nothing, only the chill, damp October wind played round him, and the smell of moist earth and decaying vegetation filled his nostrils. Change and decay in all around I see, he thought heavily, But as he turned away and crossed the road, a sudden remembrance came to him, and made him giddy. It was morning, or early afternoon, he forgot which, and the sunshine was filtering through the firs, and steeping his senses with the warm resinous perfume, spices of araby, he had called it to himself, for he loved the scent above all things. He had clambered up the bank to pick some honeysuckle, and then the little gate had clanged on its hinges, and he had peeped through the brambles to see who was coming. And, of course, he knew who it was—that tall, robust young woman in the white sunbonnet who came down the path swinging her arms slightly, but with the free proud step of an empress. "'Elizabeth! Elizabeth!' he had whispered even then, and all the manhood within him seemed to welcome her gracious presence." Poor fool, poor blind fool that he was. Perhaps it was as well that Malcolm stumbled over the root of a tree at that moment. The rude shock roused him. It is a blessing I have not sprained my ankle, he said to himself, but he had struck his foot rather severely and limped on with difficulty. The pain sobered him, and he thought how Elizabeth had told him that they always used lanterns in the grounds and he made up his mind to borrow one for his return journey. "'I wonder if Carlion will be there,' he muttered as he went up to the front door. He had never seen it closed before, for in summer it was always open from morning to night. Somehow the sight chilled him. He was outside in the darkness and the cold, and for him no household fires would burn warm and bright, and a bitter sigh came to his lips— He had raised his hand to the bell when the door opened suddenly, and the rosy-cheeked housemaid, he remembered, peered out into the darkness. She was evidently very much startled when she saw Malcolm. "'Did you ring, sir?' she asked in some confusion, for no one heard a bell. The ladies are still in the dining-room, but I will tell Mullins. "'Please do not bring them. I can well wait. I know my way to the drawing-room.' and Malcolm put down his hat and crossed the hall, which looked warm and cheery with its bright fire. The lamps had been lighted in the drawing-room, and the fireplace was heaped with pine logs that spluttered and blazed merrily, and diffused a sort of aromatic fragrance. There were pleasant tokens of feminine occupation on the round table, an open book and a knitting-basket that he knew belonged to Dinah and a piece of embroidery of an ecclesiastical pattern over which he had often seen elizabeth bending there were the very gold scissors and thimble that she had once left down by the pool which cost him and cedric an hour's search before they could find them how pleased she had been when he had brought them back to her malcolm felt an irresistible desire to hold them in his hand a moment then he turned quickly away There was a little side window in the drawing-room that formed a sort of alcove. It was fitted up very prettily with palms and flowering plants, and amongst the foliage stood a beautiful marble figure of a Roman peasant with her pitcher on her shoulder. Malcolm had often admired it. It was the work of a young German sculptor, whom the sisters found in somewhat distressing circumstances in Rome, with a sick wife and hampered with debt. Arnim Freiligrath always regarded the dear ladies, as he called them, as his benefactresses, for, strange to say, from that time orders flowed in upon him, and he was soon looked upon as a rising and successful sculptor. Dinah had once told Malcolm that the woman's features reminded her of Elizabeth, and Malcolm had agreed with her. "'I think it is the figure that most resembles your sister,' he had said." but you are wise to buy it. It is very beautiful, and Arnhem Frillegrath is becoming quite the fashion. Malcolm stepped up to the alcove. He would look at his favorite water-carrier again. He put aside the heavy plush curtains that half veiled the recess, but the next moment he recoiled, for Elizabeth herself was standing there, almost as motionless as the marble woman beside her. She was lost in thought, and had evidently not heard his footfall on the soft carpet, and she was gazing out into the darkness. Something in her expression arrested Malcolm's attention. He had never seen her look like that before. Her lips were pressed tightly together, and her eyes were full of sadness. One hand was resting lightly on the statue, and Malcolm could see the gleam of the opal ring on her finger. He feared to startle her, and yet it was impossible for him to stand there any longer. He pronounced her name almost timidly, and as Elizabeth started violently and turned round, he could see the tears glistening in the large grey eyes. "'Mr. Herrick!' in an astonished tone, as she gave him her hand. It was very cold, and trembled a little in his grasp. "'What makes you steal upon us like a ghost in the darkness? Why did you not tell us you were coming?' "'I thought it would be better not.' "'he returned quietly. "'I wanted to speak to you and your sister "'about something that seemed to me important.' "'Then Elizabeth gave him one of her quick-searching glances. "'It is about Cedric,' she said abruptly. "'That boy has got into trouble again.' "'Then Malcolm bowed his head. "'They were standing on the rug before the fire now, "'and at Malcolm's mute answer Elizabeth shivered slightly "'and held out her hands to the blaze "'as though she were physically cold.' Malcolm leant for support against the mantelpiece and watched her for a moment under his shading hand. If she had only seen that hungry, eloquent look! But Elizabeth's eyes were fixed on the fire. Poor Malcolm! Never had she looked more beautiful to him. The black velvet gown suited her to perfection, and the antique Roman necklace she wore just fitted the full white throat. This was not the rustic owner of the white sunbonnet but a grand, imperial-looking Elizabeth. Malcolm felt as though he were fast losing self-control. His forehead grew clammy, and though he tried to speak, to break the embarrassing silence, no words would come. But Elizabeth, lost in her own sad thoughts, was oblivious of his emotion. "'Dinah will be here directly,' she observed presently. "'She is engaged just now with a woman from the village, but she will not be long, I hope. I trust,' and here she looked at him anxiously, that you have no bad news for us. I am afraid it is not good, he replied evasively. It has something to do with those odious Jacobys. Again Malcolm bowed his head. Cedric seems infatuated about them, she returned, with something of her old impetuosity, the words tripping each other up in the usual Elizabethan way. We thought the man detestable. Even Dinah could not tolerate him. Oh!— interrupting herself. What am I thinking about? You have come all this distance, on our account, and I have never thought of your comfort. You have not dined, of course. And Elizabeth's hand was on the bell, but he stopped her. I have just had supper at the King's Arms, where I have taken a bed. I want nothing, I assure you. At the King's Arms! exclaimed Elizabeth. Then she suddenly flushed and bit her lip. She had forgotten— How could she suppose that anything would induce him to sleep under their roof again? Malcolm's manner, his painful air of consciousness, the deep melancholy in his eyes, told her plainly that his trouble was as fresh as ever. Elizabeth began to feel nervous. It was a relief to both of them when Mullins entered the room with the coffee. At least you'll have a cup of coffee, she said with a little effort. "'Mullins, will you put the tray down, "'and tell my sister that Mr. Herrick has come down "'to speak to us on business, "'and ask her not to keep him waiting?' "'Malcolm did not refuse the coffee. "'As he took the cup in his hand, he said in a low voice, "'I hope Mr. Carleon is well.' "'Thank you. He is far from well,' she returned gravely. "'Mr. Charrington has been away for the last six weeks, "'and he has had far too much to do. "'He has taken a bad cold, and his cough is troublesome.' I have been speaking to Dr. Randolph to-day, and he thinks the vicar ought to come back. Then she stopped as Dinah came hurriedly into the room. Malcolm's unexpected visit had evidently alarmed her. "'Oh, Mr. Herrick, what is it?' she said in such a troubled voice that Malcolm felt almost afraid to tell his news. Evidently Elizabeth read his thoughts. "'You must tell us everything,' she said rather abruptly. "'It will be wrong to keep anything back.' and thus admonished, Malcolm began his long story, his summons to the manor-house and Hugh Rossiter's revelation concerning the Jacoby family. The sisters listened in breathless silence. Only when Malcolm mentioned the words billiard-marker and valet, Elizabeth uttered a quick exclamation and threw up her head with a proud gesture, while poor Dinah grew white when she heard that her boy was actually engaged. "'It is impossible. There must be some mistake,' she whispered, as though to herself. "'Our dear boy would never keep such a thing from his sisters. Cedric is so frank and open. He would never have secrets from us.' "'Cedric is under a bad influence,' replied Malcolm. "'These people have got hold of him, and will not let him go.' And then he went on to tell of his interview with Cedric, and his total want of success. "'I could do nothing,' he went on despondently i seem to have lost my influence with him i did my best miss templeton with an appealing look at dinah's sad sweet face but it was elizabeth who answered him do you think we do not know that she returned impulsively that dinah and i are not grateful to you you have taken all this trouble for us you have been to cookham and oxford and now you have come here and you are quite tired and worn out with the worry of it all and we can do nothing for you in return and elizabeth quivered with emotion but malcolm suppressing his own agitation tried to turn off her speech with a laugh she was grateful to him good heavens she might as well have offered a cupful of earth to a man dying of thirst let him finish betty dear observed dinah faintly he has more to tell us and then malcolm produced the telegram and laid it before them the sisters glanced at each other with dismay and dinah's forehead was furrowed like an old woman's what is to be done mr herrick to save my poor boy from this iniquitous marriage she inquired in a tremulous tone and elizabeth's eyes were asking him the same question that is just the difficulty my dear lady he replied slowly if i can only see my way clear mr rossiter advised me to speak to miss jacoby he seems to think she is more amenable to reason than her brother and probably he is right but to malcolm's surprise dinah's mild eyes began to flush angrily i have a worse opinion of her than i have of her brother she said hurriedly she is a wicked woman she let men make love to her when she knew her husband was alive if she marries cedric i will never see her or him either and here dinah trembled from head to foot Elizabeth, startled by the excitement of one generally so gentle, knelt down by her sister and put her arms round her. "'Dear Di,' she implored, "'don't make it worse for us all. Mr. Herrick is trying to help us, and we must not make things more difficult for him.' "'What do you advise?' she continued, turning to Malcolm. "'You have seen this, Leah. Would it be better to bribe or frighten her?' "'That is impossible for me to say,' returned Malcolm, averting his eyes quickly from the earnest, troubled face. "'I have only exchanged a few words with Miss Jacoby, and know little about her.' "'You mean the Contessa Ferrari?' interrupted Dinah almost harshly. "'For heaven's sake, let the woman be called by her right name.' "'It is a name she refuses to own,' he returned quietly. "'Will you let me say what I really think?' you know i have only seen her twice i think she is a wronged and unhappy woman and that her troubles have hardened her nature and made her reckless her brother tyrannizes over her and she has never been free to lead her own life or follow her own better impulses and her beauty and wonderful fascination have only been used to further Saul jacoby's ambitious aims In my opinion, Cedric was right when he declared to me that she was more sinned against than sinning. "'Then in that case you will be able to influence her,' returned Dinah quickly. "'Tell her from me, Mr. Herrick, that if she persists in marrying my poor boy, she will be marrying a pauper, that on the day the marriage takes place I shall alter my will, and that my sister Elizabeth will be my heir. Tell her this.' and I will write to Cedric and let him know what he has to expect. Do you really mean this? asked Malcolm, much impressed by this unexpected resolution on the part of one usually so yielding and gentle. I mean every word, returned Dinah firmly. Yes, Betty, dear, as she saw her sister's astonished face, I am perfectly serious. You know what Cedric is to me. And here her sweet voice quavered for a moment. If it would do him good, I would give him half my fortune at this moment, and would never grudge it. But no money of mine shall be used for his undoing. Let him give up this woman and come back to me, and there is nothing I will not do for him. Am I right, Elizabeth? Do you agree with me?' "'I agree with you, and you are always right, darling. Mr. Herrick, will you do as she says, and make this Leah understand that she has nothing to expect from us?' "'Oh, what trouble we are giving you! "'And we have no right!' "'And here Elizabeth turned her head away "'in pained confusion. "'She had said the wrong thing. "'Why did not Dinah come to her assistance "'and say some word of grateful acknowledgement?' "'You have every right to use me as you will,' "'returned Malcolm in a low voice, "'for I have done nothing to forfeit your friendship.' "'And with a dreary attempt at a smile. "'A friend is born for adversity.' Then Elizabeth rose from her kneeling position, but she did not answer, perhaps she could not, for Malcolm's worn face and sad, kind eyes seemed to bring a sudden lump to her throat. How good he was, how generous, and forgiving, and unselfish! She longed to take his hand, and bid God bless him, but she could not trust herself or him. "'It has gone too deep,' she said with inward wonder, for Elizabeth was truly humble in her estimation of herself. Dinah was too much wrapped up in her own troubled thoughts to notice Elizabeth's emotion. "'Will you tell me what you mean to do?' she asked anxiously, for Malcolm had risen too, as though he intended to take his leave. He explained briefly that he intended to act on Hugh Rossiter's suggestion—' he would waylay leah Jacobi in kensington gardens and do his best to induce her to give cedric up i shall tell her you have written to him and advise her to talk things over with her brother when he knows cedric templeton is not his sister's heir he will be the first to insist that your projected marriage should be broken off i shall say some such words to her and you will come down again and let us know the result of your interview and Dinah looked at him imploringly. "'Your room shall be ready for you at any time.' "'You are very kind,' he returned, hesitating. "'My room at the King's Arms seems very comfortable.' Then Dinah understood, and changed colour slightly. "'It will be giving you trouble,' she observed regretfully. "'No, no, it is not that,' he returned hurriedly. "'But it is impossible to say how things may be, "'what circumstances or what complications may arise "'to keep me in town.' I will write. You shall not be kept in suspense an hour longer than I can help, and you may depend on me that I will do my utmost to break off this wretched engagement. I trust you implicitly, returned Dinah gravely. You will forgive me if I cannot thank you properly to-night. You need not move, Di. I will light Mr. Herrick's lantern for him. Elizabeth spoke in her old natural way. Malcolm stood beside her silently as she performed her hospitable task then she placed it in his hand i wonder how you groped your way through the plantation she said smiling but this little glimmer will guide you safely good-night mr herrick we shall look eagerly for your promised letter poor dinah will have one of her bad sick headaches to-morrow worry always brings them on she looks far from well replied malcolm i fear this has been a great shock to her and to you too and then he shook hands and went out into the darkness. When he was halfway down the drive he turned round. The door was still open, and the cheerful light streamed out into the blackness. Elizabeth was standing on the threshold looking after him. When she saw him stop, she waved her hand with a friendly good-night. Then the door closed, and there was only the October darkness, and an eerie wandering wind moaning through the woodlands. End of chapter 29